Welcome to Fret Not with me, Rosie Bennett. Fret Not is the podcast that aims to demystify the learning process that we all go through in our lives, work and otherwise. I'll be talking to the champions in our field about the lessons that have defined their careers and help us to work out how we can learn from what they've already figured out. Nothing in life is a linear process. So let's get more at ease with the ups and the downs and realize that wherever we are in our journey, we really aren't alone. This podcast is brought to you by Augustine Strings, a company with real heart, a fascinating history, and my guitar string of choice. Check them out at augustinestrings.com. Today I'll be speaking to Kevin Lowe, Singaporean classical guitarist and longtime friend of mine. I first met Kevin at the Yehudi Menuhin School of Music, where we both completed our secondary education. Since leaving the school, Kevin has played at guitar festivals in London, Hong Kong and Calcutta, has worked with various orchestras, including the Singaporean Symphony Orchestra, from whom he has been named the President's Young Performer in 2019. Kevin has participated in the huge growth of the classical guitar in Singapore, raising 180,000 Singaporean dollars for the Business Times Budding Artist Fund and the Straits Times Pocket Money Fund through concerts. In 2019, he completed his mandatory military service as a combat engineer pioneer in the Singapore Armed Forces and has since been pursuing his undergraduate degree in music at Girton College, Cambridge. Kevin, what is a lesson you've learned that's been the most meaningful to you? I think this idea of lifelong learning is a huge concept that has been imparted to me from a young age. It was one of those things that I sort of learned from my old primary school as one of its sort of school core values. And that phrase has kind of stuck with me because I used to think that, okay, after primary school, I'd move on to secondary school and this sort of cutting these things into different sections kind of just meant, oh, I'm learning one thing here. And then when I move on to the next phase of my life, I kind of just forgo whatever I learned before. You're constantly learning new things and adding that into your repertoire, your skill set. One of the things I love to, to talk about when I do my, my teachings or my occasional sort of workshops is this idea of a toolbox. I love to use this analogy of a toolbox where, you know, you sort of start off with a small kitty toolbox with one or two tools along the way. And we use these tools to deal with all the problems that we have in the world. I usually say those problems to be, you know, the repertoire you pick. But I think this is, you know, larger than mm-hmm. that in this context. Mm-hmm. And as you start to pick up more skills, you need to upgrade yourself. Right. So you take out your cheap wrench and you upgrade it to a much more expensive, high quality one, for example. Right. Mm-hmm. And. And you sort of add more tools to the toolbox and it gets bigger. The box gets bigger. You have more tools in it. And you're more equipped with life skills to deal with whatever problems are out there in the world, right? Mm -hmm. So I think lifelong learning, that's where it really sort of hits home for me. Not just with guitar, but, you know, life in general. We are not just dealing with the music industry. We're dealing... In whenever we have collaborations as well, you're dealing with so much more. We also have COVID to deal with, so we have to adapt and find our own way around that because it's so easy to be narrow-minded. You know, life is never ideal. We will never have that amazing support system. You're on your own out there. You've got to grind. Taking in everything you can as 
as something that you can learn and you can use later on. Mm. That's all that's all part of the lifelong learning process. I love the concept of the toolbox. I think it's great to be able to visualize the things that we bracket under our idea of ourselves as a performer. Not only to help us realize which things perhaps need a little more work, but also to realize the things that we're already equipped with. What are some tools that you're hoping to acquire for your toolbox? I think the one for me right now has been, I've been working on my articulation a lot. When I say articulation, I don't mean from a pl guitar playing sense. I mean from mm. a speaking sense. Mm. Now, you might wonder why this is relevant and everything, but I feel uh, it's twofold. One, it has got to do with my academic work. And therefore, you know, when I have to write a lot of essays, I need to be concise. Mm -hmm. So that's one. But the, the other thing which is more relevant towards the guitar would be when it comes to expressing your ideas and particularly through teaching as well. Mm -hmm. Because there have been times where, okay, you know, I've had less time to practice, but I have had more time to put aside to teach a couple of students from time to time. And mm -hmm. I found it so fascinating on, on articulating the most complex of ideas in a very simple way so that an, even a kid could understand and replicate practically uh, when learning the guitar. Mm -hmm. it's, it's, so, it's so hard and yet it fascinates me so much. How do we uh, essentially articulate these ideas? The more I teach, the more pressurizing it can be because you really start to gain a the sense of responsibility. Like everything I do will sort of lay out this person's future with with how they develop with the guitar i don't want to sort of screw up now so that oh no they develop and have it and then it kind of stay a bad habit and it stays with them forever right so it's like mm. ooh, how do you deal with this delicate balance mm -hmm. so articulation has been a huge thing that i've been trying to work on i i i don't claim to have dealt with it successfully at all but it is a thing <laughs> uh the other thing would be physical awareness. I don't think this is a hugely sort of revolutionary thing. Mm -hmm. But during my time at Menuhin School, uh, I did a lot of Alexander techniques. So that was really useful. And a good amount of time that I spent uh, working with René Esquerdo and his incredible sort of teaching, he's also helped me a lot with uh, dealing with my physical awareness. So I felt that the time I've spent in, in both camps have made me a, uh, such a better player and I'm trying to incorporate that within my teaching as well. I feel like with the toolbox, something we might not appreciate enough when we're growing up is that a lot of those tools will be forged in fire and um, that the acquisition of our skill set will often be through difficult times or times that don't necessarily present themselves as a lesson at first. I wanted to talk to you a little bit about your military service and how that might have changed your perspective. So for listeners that don't know, Kevin, you just recently finished serving two years mandatory military service in the Singapore Armed Forces. And you're now studying an academic music degree at Girton College in Cambridge. How has your attitude toward guitar and performance changed over this period? And what are some of the lessons that you've taken from it that are now in your toolbox? It's an absolutely great question. I feel that it was mm. the the prospect of doing the military service was a 
was a tough one internally because mm-hmm. it definitely sort of disrupted the what would have been the ideal path or sort of the balance that I could maintain with my practice and doing sort of regular performing. Mm-hmm. I would have to stay at home for two years. And I kind of just took it as, you know, I trying to keep a positive outlook on things and be like, right, let's just make the most of these two years and see how we get on with it. Mm-hmm. So I kind of felt like, okay, what I saw was that a lot of peers who went on to conservatory in London, for example, or mm-hmm. anywhere else, they're moving on from what was intense music making and going to the next step forward, which is conservatoire, where there's a huge amount of stress. Mm. So I thought, okay, maybe I could use these two years to de-stress a little bit, take a step back from the scene and sort of gain a bit of perspective because I was forced to not play for a short period. And um, through that process, I, you know, I definitely felt that yearning to play the guitar. So it kind of reaffirmed for myself in my sort of self-reflection and, and my journey that, okay, this is something that I really want to do mm. because I could have been in two years like, hey, if the two years just gone by and I didn't feel like, you know, guitar was, you know, that meaningful, then I knew that, you know, I wasn't sort of, I didn't have that conviction or like I didn't want to do it enough. Do you think that if you hadn't felt the yearning or like the desire to play that you would have stopped playing or stopped at least pursuing a performance career? I think we were definitely, I definitely kept things open and I was prepared to explore other opportunities and other avenues because music in Singapore in particular is a very, very difficult industry. Mm. It's Singapore is generally very focused on the typical paths. You know, everyone's like, you want to be a doctor or do you want to be a lawyer? Mm-hmm. You know, that kind of thing. You know, if I I just wanted to let the situation play out. But I, I don't, I, I, I guess my, to answer your question more directly, I would have found it very difficult to foresee myself, you know, without the guitar at all. Mm-hmm. Even if I were to sort of go on a tangent and, you know, do something else in terms of a career, I would mm-hmm. definitely still have guitar in my life and I would try to perform. But maybe that would have been more uh, of a rare occasion that I could indulge myself sort of to find an opportunity, if not, yeah. I do think it's very difficult to imagine being presented with that choice, especially after such a long period, a lifetime really, of having the instrument alongside you. The reason I ask is because I think it's something we all come across in our careers at some point, a runner's wall type of thing, where we feel like playing has become so habitual and we're pushing so much for refined improvement we actually forget the active things that drew us to the instrument in the first place, even if, you know, we still enjoy playing on a more passive level. I think when we passively attend our enjoyment of something we do so much, and then we're met with the narrative of, oh, you don't play for a day, you lose it for a week, as so many musicians are, it can be really tough to figure out if it's something that we still feel driven to do, or if it's driven mostly by the guilt of not wanting to break that habit. I think that's very true. I do know of musicians within the industry who are so, I guess, to simply put, tired. Mm. They are doing music as an occupation, but not as a passion. Mm -hmm. And whenever they 
you can I think you can very easily imagine say an orchestra musician who finds it as a job nine to five when they finish orchestra rehearsals they go home they don't touch the instrument I know people mm -hmm. who don't even listen to music or even go to concerts at all pre-covid mm -hmm. they never even bothered going to live concerts absolutely I do think that some of that culture of treating music like an occupation and nothing more has been born out of this generation where we're prioritizing mental health in its absolute essence which it's an amazing thing on a personal level because obviously so many musicians suffer with mental disease, but in a more general sense in the industry, that narrative of not putting yourself in situations that make you feel bad can be a little bit misleading in terms of making a distinction between temporary happiness and life satisfaction. I think the feeling of fulfilling your purpose is something really ingrained into musical and pretty much every artistic or vocational education. And whilst it can be problematic, it's still a very beautiful notion. I wondered which are the things you rely on that you have in that toolbox when you feel low in motivation? How do you manifest your dedication to the instrument? I think for me, because since young, I developed a a pretty good technical system off the bat thanks to my dad mm. so i think uh when i came to the minimum school uh when we first met i think at that point i was sort of having something steady mm -hmm. so i didn't have to worry so much on the technical side of things obviously we grow and things change but i you know i think there was already a foundation and mm. that allowed me to focus so much more of my time on the musical elements mm and really paying attention to the stylistic details. So I, I'm very thankful of my technical upbringing. Mm. Um, the other thing that I feel that um, it doesn't have anything to do with touching the guitar, but it's just sort of listening to music. Mm. Again, this idea of lifelong learning and, and sort of accumulated experience, right? The more you listen to different kinds of music, it, it adds color to you as a person, right? And the mm. more I do that, the more it influences my playing. And I know this sounds really simple, but this is something that has just made such a huge difference for me recently. Mm. Like particularly with the academic degree, we're dealing with music that I've never heard ever before. Mm -hmm. Or maybe I have heard it before, heard of it before. I'm just not interested, right? Mm-hmm. But having to actively deal with these things, I'm like, wow, there's so much out there that, you know, you don't know what you don't know. And sort of being exposed to all these things just adds so much color mm, to my mm -hmm. playing. So there's, I mean, that sort of visits the idea that, you know, there's so much you can do without the instrument before even touching the instrument to grow. We, we do this because we enjoy doing it. We don't want to do it because we're forced to doing it and it becomes like something you end up hating because that's obviously the worst thing you want between uh, uh, for, for a person's relationship with music. The whole idea of this mm, of the musical mm -hmm. journey transcends whatever instrument uh, you deal with. It just happens to be that physical medium you're dealing with at the time. One of the things that I think puts people off of getting really engaged with music is the idea of being right or wrong. And it's so ridiculous in a way because those concepts, I mean, they don't exist within the musical realm. Absolutely, I absolutely agree. I think this idea of the pressure of getting it right or wrong in, in when you put that into perspective of lifelong learning then becomes irrelevant because mm. you then learn that, okay, if this is the right way, sure, we keep on building upon that. 
And then if you make a mistake, it's not really a mistake. You're sort of learning from that experience and saying, okay, I just need to adjust it so that, you know, I don't do, a, you know, something that's less pre preferable. For example, you know, it, it, it all adds to your experience really. So, you know, there, the, there shouldn't be this stigma of like, you know, I have to get it right. Do what you want to express yourself and just experiment, keep on doing what you, you think might or might not work and see how things turn out along the way, right? Kevin, what is a lesson that you would like to impart? This lesson that I have in mind of sort of keeping a positive mindset, keeping uh, open mind and jumping at every opportunity to grow and develop. For me, that was one of the huge things I had to be very conscious of when I first went to Menuhin. When I was first having lessons there, you know, I was learning with a different teacher who was telling me that, you know, restart everything from the beginning in terms of technique and approaching music. I was like, obviously, you'd be quite shocked and taken aback from that, right? Mm -hmm. And and perhaps naturally resistive to change. Mm -hmm. But just as anything in life, I think if you stay open, you hear what someone has to say, and you try to put yourself in their position, you try and connect with them and try to see what you can take away and learn from that. Mm -hmm. And then from there, you decide what, what, to, what to keep and what to, to, to forego. I think we can certainly do with a little bit more of that openness in the world right now as well. Mm -hmm. You know, we just need to listen to, with each other. Again, this idea of the performer and the audience, it's an mm -hmm. opportunity to connect with people, right? Have you always felt like you've had a growth mindset and that you've been open to change and new ideas? Or has it been a sort of ongoing learning process in your life? I know I have been pretty judgmental and it it became, it can be quite unhealthy. It did become a bit unhealthy for me too. And that definitely, I definitely observed that change whilst I was at Menuhin because mm -hmm. I was I knew I was in a phase where I was striving to reach perfection and I knew that I had to do it one way or that's it, you know, mm. if not, mm. that just wouldn't make the cut, mm -hmm. for example. And then like, you know, every time I feel like I'm not making the cut, I'm like, no, that's no good. Keep on going, keep on going. I'm sort of being too judgmental on myself in that, mm -hmm. in, in that sense. Right. Um, and then, you know, it's just so pressurizing yourself. You just get tired of it. It's just not sustainable, mm. you know. Um, and I definitely know that when I went through that phase, that negativity doesn't help because you start imposing your sort of negativity on other people. I know for a fact that uh, sort of unhealthy negativity definitely affected my relationship with friends. But, you know, in, in the larger perspective of things, I feel like, you know, hopefully I like to think that I've changed, you know, and become a better person. Absolutely. And it's a lifelong process for all of us, really. With judgment, it's kind of a tricky one. I feel like as a young learning musician, you're not really afforded the freedom that you are as an adult to enjoy the concerts you see or the recordings you hear outside of having to have that critical perspective. Yeah. You know, once you leave education, you're a lot more free to actually enjoy any art form without criticizing. So it's very easy when you're actively judging other people and you have to do that as part of your education to 
also judge internally to a very strict level. I think it's something that can be difficult to separate, like how can I be critical, but not necessarily in a negative way. So not just how can I make this better, but how can I define what better is in my own opinion? Right, absolutely. I think that's a that's a great point because I find I'm sure you know you 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 would have come across this, and a lot of people or all the listeners out there might come across who are classical musicians. Whenever I talk to friends who are not musically inclined, and I say, "Hey, I'm a classical musician." They immediately have this judgment of, oh, I shouldn't dare to talk about music in front of them, right? Because they're like super critical, and they'll be like, once I start talking about the things I enjoy, uh, the classical musician will start being all picky and like all judgmental because they're elitist or something.、Mm-hmm. And I always try to actively break down that barrier、uh, through workshops with the general public and through friends who I just normally talk to. I just say that, hey. It's not in my position to judge. Music is for enjoyment, no matter what kind. So you said that you do workshops.、Um, what kind of things do you work on with your groups that maybe feels like a departure from your own education? One of the chamber music sort of platforms I work with here in Singapore is called More Than Music, and a lot of the time, whenever I get invited to back to do a project with them, a lot of the time,、uh, we. Don't really rehearse the music so much because we know that you know we're able to deliver on that front.、Mm-hmm. But we actually spend a lot of the rehearsal time working on the speeches.、Mm-hmm. We're targeting a huge audience within Singapore that isn't inclined to classical music in general. So、mm-hmm. what do we do? What can we do to prime our audiences to better receive?、Uh, to better、uh, have a Better audience perception of what we 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 produce in terms of the music, right? So it's always the speeches. The speeches are so important in setting up the right environment and to prime the audience, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If you set it up right,、uh, people can understand what you're trying to share with them. And tying that back into workshops,、uh, if I'm able to do that same idea with students, they can better、mm-hmm. understand and resonate. So. Yeah, and sort of sympathize with what what we are trying to do. I think that's such a good idea. I always think of audience experience and perception like that flying scene in Peter Pan. You know, Tinkerbell can sprinkle you in pixie dust, but you need to believe you can fly to be able to fly. Yeah. And in a way, I feel like it's the same thing with how we present music to audiences. You know, the imagination is already in the music. But we need to find ways to engage the audience so that they exercise their own imaginations to really enjoy it and go on that journey with us. Kevin, it feels like a good time to ask you: What is the lesson that you're working on at the moment? So, for me, the lesson that I'm working on is cross-disciplinary learning. This is something that I've had in my mind for quite a while. You know, we have to forge our own paths.、Mm. You know, there's so many things that we are、um, that we have yet to explore through crossing into other fields, and I think that's the beauty about music as a, as a subject. Because one of the big things when I went to Menuhin was realizing how much subjects I had to learn that added to my own experience, and it, this ties in lifelong learning again. The、mm. whole idea of music. Being just learning an instrument was very clear to me at a young age, but once you hit a certain point, 
for me, it was when I went to Menuhin, it was like, okay, I need to do with math and, you know, science, math being like basic rhythms, science being like the acoustics and physics of music making, psychology, how do you interact with, with audience perception and all these different things, right? It's like suddenly you're thinking about so many different things that, you know, different fields that add to your experience as a musician, not just as a listener, but as a player. There's so many things you can do that I wouldn't have ever dreamed of. You, it's very easy to be expected to just do the same thing, you know, presenting a recital program and presenting it in a certain way, very specific mm -hmm. way. And we're judged only upon that. You can, we can explore and be creative in however way we like. Like there was one video I prepared for my YouTube channel where I did Recorders de Alhambra, mm -hmm. but I actually worked with a traditional Chinese musician. He played an instrument called the pipa, which is very similar to guitar the way we play it actually mm -hmm. so we basically were two sort of plucked instruments playing that piece together and he was just playing around with it and we didn't really care on how you know the reception would be if there was any critical reception anyway we just knew that we wanted to play around colors and sounds and sort of tying the two colors of different you know backgrounds together and see what we could come up with you know and mm -hmm. it's just that idea of exploration the more we can cross work together across fields to come up with something new that's the whole part of exploration and beauty of creating. It all ties in with that open mind idea. It sounds so simplistic, but for me, it's such a fundamental point that's really important. And I guess for me, cross-disciplinary learning as a, as a lesson I'm having in progress is just a physical manifestation of what of the current stage I'm in. Because you can obviously have an open mind and approach different things, but then how do you put that into practice? So for me, it's trying to figure out how do I apply my guitar playing, for example, uh, and practically applying that, say, with working with dancers. You know, mm. you know that that that's a first for me. You know, so it, it, it's all these different things. I think it's all different forms of that openness idea. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Fret Not. Join me in two weeks' time, where I'll be talking to Adam Levin about humility, balance, and how to carve and manifest a music career that makes you happy.